Hello and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Wirtz, with Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background. This is episode 113 on May 4th, 2023, so May the 4th be with you. Of course, I had to do that. Um, also, uh, still with lower quality audio, Lufthansa keeps holding on to my bag at Frankfurt Airport, or rather, should I say, be unable to locate it. But we do have a great guest this week, Michael Lundell from the World Vapors Alliance, who is currently in Stockholm, Sweden, to launch a new campaign on beating smoking like the Swedes. We're getting him on the phone from Sweden to ask him about the new slogan and kickoff of the campaign. Also in this episode, plant diseases should affect how we see pesticide reduction laws, say a majority of EU ag ministers. This is uh, farm ministers. Also, uh, there were 33 strikes in the Netherlands last year, disrupting a significant part of the Dutch economy. So let's get started. First off, the sustainable use of pesticides regulation and directive is going through the institutions of the European uh, Union and uh, the European Council is becoming increasingly interested by the proposals being made. It's like shooting yourself in the foot, say the agricultural ministers, though, with the latest draft findings suggesting a rise in the number of pests and plant diseases in the EU. Uh, they say in Politico that uh, the discussion at Agrifish Council followed concerns raised by Latvia last week in a document endorsed by eight other countries. Quote, it is necessary to raise the alarm about the negative impact of the sustainable use of pesticides directive on the spread of plant diseases and real problems that will follow as EU producers will not be able to ensure the same high plant health status as before. Um, and this comes from uh, Latvian agricultural minister Smits, something like that. Anyway, um, no, not, not easy, all those European names. Um, and he says, we are concerned uh, whether the European Union will be able to fulfill the international obligations it has undertaken in combating plant pests and combating their international spread. Legally binding reduction targets must not interfere with the ability of member states and the European Union to eradicate pests and with that, the ability to protect against outbreaks of new harmful organisms. Food security in the EU and exports must not be affected. As a reminder, the European Commission wants to get rid of what it calls hazardous chemicals in agriculture by 50% until the year 2035. And that, of course, is becoming increasingly difficult as people are asking for impact assessments. What does it mean for farming? What does it mean for food prices as they are already going up? And we've raised this continuously in articles that I've, uh, I've written on this issue. Ultimately, a lot of problems uh, remain uh, to be ironed out. And also, of course, a bit of a uh, time problem here for the current European Commission, because uh, unless uh, the biggest packages of the legislation are finished uh, by the end of this year, it will be very, very difficult to get anything approved by the institutions before the European elections in spring of next year. Um, and then after that, we'll have a new commission and that might change a lot of things. Um, also, uh, we are talking about workers' strikes in the Netherlands. Dutch workers went on strike 33 times last year, writes DutchNews.nl. 
uh, up 11 on the 2021 total, but fewer people were involved, National Statistics Agency CBS said on Wednesday. In total, 39,000 days were lost to strikes in 2022 compared to 59,000 in 2021. The 2022 total was the highest since 1988, where there were 38 official strikes. So a lot of people in the Netherlands very frustrated by strikes on rail, but also retail stores. Uh, the post office was on strike as well. Uh, ING, the Dutch bank, had its very first strike as well, significantly disrupting not just getting to work, but also um, uh, just doing your everyday business. And this has had a lot of repercussions. Usually we know France and Belgium as the signature countries to go on strike, but of course uh, the Netherlands is no exception at this point anymore uh, either. Um, this of course puts into question to what extent um, we uh, have let the system run amok a bit uh, because despite high inflation, it uh, it shouldn't lead to what you know countries like Luxembourg have, which is sort of a uh, direct indexation of salary system to avoid strikes. Because ultimately, uh, the unions are, uh, are using it not just for salary negotiations, but for all sorts of powers on layoffs um, and, and other workplace uh, regulations. This, uh, this has significant impact on the economy and actually even furthers uh, the cost of living problem that many people uh, have. DutchNews.nl also says most strikes were down to a combination of factors with just eight due to purely wage demands, the CBS says. The 2022 total may very well be topped by 2023. In March, Trade Union Federation FNV said there had been 24 stoppages in the first three months of the year as workers called for wage rises to offset soaring inflation. These include bin collector strikes in major cities, walkouts by bus drivers and train drivers, and hospital care being reduced to a weekend rotation. Staff at companies including Etos and Bainkorf, department store chains, PostNL and Duva Egberts also staged walkouts. Uh, and there was the very first strike in ING history, as I just mentioned. So significant disruptions there um, and ultimately just furthering many of, of those problems. Um, and now before we move to uh, the uh, interview of the week, just wanted to say uh, this episode is also shorter, um, not only because I'm short on a microphone, but also because uh, a lot of different topics being uh, worked on in our projects at Consumer Choice Center, which, by the way, you can support, uh, including uh, for this podcast by going on consumerchoicecenter.org slash donate, where you can donate in fiat or cryptocurrency if you so choose. And so let's move now to Michael Lundell from the World Vapors Alliance telling us all about why he is in Sweden. Yeah, we are actually here to celebrate the incredible achievement of Sweden because Sweden will be the first country to achieve the smoke-free goal set by the EU, which is defined by a smoking rate below 5%. And this year, Sweden will achieve that 17 years ahead of the EU goal. Um, and become the first country in the world to be smoke-free and the only country in the EU which is 
um, achieving the goal. The, all the others are completely failing and that's why we want to celebrate Sweden on the one hand but also showcase to other EU countries how it's actually done and how it's possible to reduce smoking rates that quickly, that fast. Well, so tell us about that. How did Sweden do it? What, what, was, the, what was the key component of Sweden's reduction in smoking rates? In a cynical way, it would be the exact opposite of what the EU suggests, actually, because Sweden has a very open approach towards harm reduction and alternative products, which are all less harmful. So traditionally in Sweden, it was mainly snooze, but nowadays it also um, is vaping and nicotine pouches, and they have a very open approach towards it, risk-based regulation, um, which means so the, the less harmful alternatives are regulated and taxed less than the most harmful one, namely cigarettes. And that pushed a lot of uh, smokers to the less harmful alternatives. And that's how they got the, the smoking rates down so fast. And the interesting thing is the overall nicotine consumption is on EU average, but at the same time, um, smoking-induced illnesses are more than 20% lower than on the EU average, which shows if you consume nicotine in, in other ways than, than cigarettes, you can lower um, health risks and health problems and improve public health without having bans and paternalistic um, policies like the EU is suggesting at the moment. So it seems that Sweden is not bragging about this, but you are trying to do it in their place. Do you think that uh, EU leaders can actually be inspired by Sweden? I mean, I hope so, because um, one of the f main concerns we always hear from EU politicians is, yeah, it's all good and fine, even if it's less harmful, does it work in practice? And now we have a whole EU country which shows that it does work in practice. So it's crystal clear and, and nobody can refute the success of, of Sweden anymore. And that's why we are here and you mentioned it, Sweden, Swedes are not bragging um, about, about their successes, unfortunately, a bit like us Austrians. <laughs> Um, so we, we try to push them in the right direction and urge the, the Swedish government to actually fight for harm reduction and the acceptance of harm reduction on the EU level as well, because otherwise also the Swedish success is in danger from bad EU regulation. So it's in their own interest, but also in, in the interest of all other member states. In your assessment, would you say that uh, what happened in Sweden is by just policymakers not knowing enough about it and saying, okay, let's not regulate this um, or actively pursuing this as a policy? I mean, we had a, a, a roundtable discussion with many stakeholders in the industry today, and this was actually one of the, of the discussions, and there is not, not a, a single opinion on that. Snooze is traditionally widely accepted in, the, in, in Sweden already for 300 years. So I don't know if back then anybody had harm reduction in their minds. Probably not. They just enjoyed the product. But then obviously when the scientific evidence grew and, and it was clear that it's less harmful, then this came into the discussion. Um, nowadays here in Sweden, the locals say it's a mixture that those who want to improve public health, they fully embrace it due to the scientific fact that it's less harmful, but also others um, just take it as a given and wouldn't go against um, the voters or, or whoever they are um, and don't want to, to, to go against their wishes and their will. Tell us more about your 
uh, campaign and uh, what your next steps are. Yeah, this here in Stockholm is our first step, basically, and the kickoff event for the for the campaign. So that's why we met with with local consumer organizations, vape shop owners, um, industry people from from uh, pouch producers. We had one guy who had a patent on a new kind of nicotine pouch so very interesting for some background information and then uh, after this we will go to the um, Swedish government uh, parliament sorry and we'll protest there or celebrate and protest at the same time celebrate the past achievements and protest or in to urge the government to push for harm reduction on the EU level. And there we will deflate a five meter tall inflatable cigarette to represent the success of Sweden in this case. And then the next few weeks, we will bring this amazing Swedish miracle to the EU and other member states as well to raise awareness that um, a smoke-free society is possible without bands and paternalism and where can people find out more about this campaign best on our website worldvaporsalliance.com there we have a full page dedicated to our campaign which is called beat smoking like the sweets and there we have a lot of background information um, about sweden and the, the scientific evidence on all these um, products we just discussed and also about the next few steps um, what we plan to do well thank you so much michael for taking the time today and uh skull all the way to sweden thank you so much not time yet for beers but we will we will and that concludes this much shorter episode of Consumer. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow Michael Lundell on Twitter at LandelMichael and World Vapors Alliance at Vapors underscore Alliance. And of course, follow the Consumer Choice Center as well at Consumer Choice C. As always, I'm your host, Bill Words, and I'll see you Thursday. You have to learn to pace yourself. Pressure. You're just like everybody else. Pressure. Oh